Uh, first of all, turning to page 27, the Church Bible, Genesis chapter 26, and we take up our reading where we left off this morning at verse uh, 12. Uh, Genesis chapter 26, and we read from verse 12. Uh, Isaac, like his father Abraham, uh, is in Palace, uh, Philistine land, Philistine country, living at Gerar. And there he has fallen to the same sin as his father of lying about his wife. The Lord has now exposed that. And then we read in chapter 26, verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines blocked up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh or springing water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Isaac, meaning dispute, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna, meaning opposition. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar, with Ahuzath, his personal adviser, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me? since you were hostile to me and sent me away. They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us 
between us and you. Let us make, make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, which means oath or seven. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba, well of the oath. Then let's turn in the New Testament to John. Uh, John chapter 15. Page 108.3. And we're reading from verse 18 through to verse 25. John 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And that's a quotation from the Psalms. Amen. Well, let us unite together in prayer. And if you're able, we invite you to stand as we... Well, today we have been continuing our studies in the life of Isaac. And we have reached Genesis chapter 26. And... Um, we were noting this morning how this is the only chapter uh, that gives us an overview or an insight into the life of Isaac. So much of the story of Isaac is tied up with the barrenness of Rebekah 
the birth of the twins, the growing up of those boys in the home and the favoritism that each parent shared on one and not the other, and then what each became in their early adult years. And it seems almost that this 26th chapter, uh, the Lord guided Moses and directed him to give us a kind of overview of this man's life that lasted for 180 years. And he did more than have two sons and um, grapple with the issues that those sons presented. And um, we were looking this morning at this chapter and we were giving it the title uh, Through Many Dangers or Entering the Kingdom Through Many Dangers. We're thinking of those words of John Newton and um, through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Or as Paul put it in Acts chapter 14, how uh, it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God, and we are to continue in faith. And Isaac knew tribulations not just in his family. He knew tribulations as he lived in the world and functioned in the world of that day. We saw this morning that the first of those we called adversity, the famine that came into the promised land and that caused him then to go to Gerar, which is Philistine country, albeit still within the promised land. We saw that he intended to go to Egypt, but the Lord told him not to. Uh, and uh, we noted how he embraced that, uh, uh, that uh, revelation of the Lord, and he dwelt at Gerar. But then we saw, secondly this morning, that on the other side, Isaac, while he is at Gerar, falls into this trap and snare of fear. He, uh, like his father before him, is conscious how beautiful his wife is, uh, is conscious of the way of the world and the lust of man, and he fears that the Philistines will come and take Rebekah from him, and that they will, in order to do that, kill him as her husband. And so, he pretends and he tells them, well, Rebecca is not really my wife. She is my sister. And we're reminded of the words in Proverbs, the fear of man brings a snare. But the one who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And we ended our study this morning or our sermon this morning by noting that it seems that the blessing that God had promised upon Isaac is almost held in abeyance until this matter of his deceit is exposed, confessed, and addressed. Because we read now in chapter 26, verse 12, after the incident had been dealt with, then Isaac sowed in that land 
and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Now I can't think of anywhere else in scripture that we read of somebody reaping a hundredfold. Jesus talked in the parable about the possibility of reaping a hundredfold. But this is unusual. And I think the fact that it is unusual and exceptional is drawing our attention to the fact that God now showers his blessing upon Isaac as he'd promised back in uh, verse uh, 2. I will be with you and bless you. And it's after a long time we saw that this blessing comes because we read uh, that uh, he was in the land for a long time uh, in uh, verse 8. So tonight we want to think about how um, we also, and Isaac also, uh, inherit or enter the kingdom through persecution. Not just through adversity and fear, overcoming fear, but also through persecution. And in many respects, um, the rest of this chapter is about life for Isaac in Philistine country. What was it like for Isaac to live in the unbelieving world of that day? A world which largely did not acknowledge God. And of course, that's the world in which we increasingly live today. Where God is dismissed and bypassed and we're told, well, he was for days gone by, but God is beyond his cell by date. One famous philosopher said, God is dead. Well, Isaac knew that God was not dead. And we know, I trust, that God is not dead. And before we have finished our study tonight, we'll see that the Philistines knew from Isaac's life that God was not dead. And so, even in the midst of this persecution, as we are saying this morning about adversity and fear, God is at work for good. And God, as only God can do, brings blessing. As we read there, and as we said at the beginning of our service, blessed are those who are persecuted. So, what was life like then for Isaac in Philistine country? Well, I think it is striking that Moses gives the most space in this chapter to Isaac's experience in Gerar and in Philistine country. Uh, And um, in total, throughout this chapter, uh, if I remember correctly, it's about six times the word Gerar is used and then the land is referred to. Uh, So, This is about Isaac uh, living in the world. I think it's also that it's interesting that Moses places it at this point in the narrative. And 
um, the whole thing from this point on is about um, his relationship with the Philistines and their relationship with him. How he copes with that and what they learn about God through that. Verses 13 to 16 tell us um, about his time in the city of Gear or on the edge of, of it until Abimelech, that's the king, expelled him and told him, I want you to move away. And you'll see that the reason for that request is, verse 16, you are much mightier than we are. There comes a point when Abimelech says, I want you to move out. Because we feel you're a threat to us. That's striking, isn't it? That one man becomes that. A man of God becomes that. And then verses 17 to 22, note his experience in the wider region. He moves from the city itself out into the wider area that's known as the Valley of Gerar. Uh, And... um, it records the things that happen to him there. In many ways, three words sum up the narrative here. Prosperity and persecution. Prosperity or blessing and persecution. And there is no doubt about it that Isaac's prosperity is due entirely and exclusively to the blessing of God. And almost in verse 13, the words are being multiplied, the same words, to describe this blessing. The Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and of herds and a great number of servants. And of course there were uh, he wasn't just um, um, looking after animals. He was also planting crops. So Isaac is um, expanding in terms of his wealth and his influence in quite remarkable and unusual ways. To the point actually that the Philistines realize that this is not of man. And you see that uh, when um, Abimelech comes to Abraham uh, later in the chapter, uh, look at what he says uh, in verse uh, 29. And you are now the blessed of the Lord. Um, So he recognizes that God has been, is blessing him. Look at verse 28. We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. There's many people and they do well. Um, unusually well compared to others around them. In their business. In their farm. And all people can say at the end of the day is. They have done well for themselves. They've done better than I have. They've done better than most. 
was one of the traders at the stalls in the market. And he was telling me about one of the markets that he attends. And there's this other trader. And um, every time he says to uh, the trader that we know, no good today. And he's commenting on how much the trader we know has sold. The other man sells agricultural produce that is not in carrot market and obviously does very, very well and potatoes and vegetables and one thing, they're just going out by their, their bag full. And the trader that we know, um, it's slow. Some days he might get a little bit. Some days are better than others. And uh, this um, trader was saying to me, he said, it's almost as if this other man gets a sense of satisfaction. No good for you today, but it's been good for me today. And people couldn't say that of Isaac. They could say, it has been good for you today. These Philistines could say that, but they also said, it's by the Lord's doing. And I think that tells us something about Isaac. Because Isaac is obviously living in an open way before them in terms of his relationship with the Lord. Isn't that important? It's important for you and for me where we work. That we let people know that we serve Jesus Christ. And that we believe that God through Christ is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we acknowledge uh, the blessing of God upon our lives. It's not by my ability. Because what ability do I have that I've not received? That's an important witness that we have in this age of unbelief. And how we relate to our material things is an opportunity for witness in a day when people don't really listen to us when we start talking from the Bible. But they will take note as they hear us speak from life experience and the Lord's blessing upon us. So the Philistines, uh, this is unusual prosperity. And uh, it's because of the era in which Isaac is. That's part of the way in which God said, people will know that I am with you. It is by the blessing I give you. And then um, we see here, let's note the response that it made. Because when people have a witness to God born into their lives, people always respond. Jesus said that in our reading from John chapter 15. People either accept the witness or they reject it. And here we see these people rejected. Look at what it says in verse 14. So the Philistines envied him. That's not the response of faith. Where they're jealous and they're resentful. Look at what he's got. He's the newcomer on the block. And he's doing much, much better than we are. And remember what Jesus also said. He said that when people have this witness before them, unbelievers, 
including the Philistines in Isaac's day, it renders them accountable to God. These Philistines will not be able to say in the day of judgment, we never knew about God. We know Bible. God will be able to save them. I put my servant Isaac in your presence for a long time. I blessed him. You saw that that blessing was from, from me upon his life. And what did you do? You turned upon him in envy. And you expelled him. And you drove him out. Sounds very New Testament, doesn't it? It sounds very typical and true of the life of Jesus. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. And we read there in John 15 that they hated him without cause. And what did they do? They ultimately drove him out of the temple and they put him on the cross. But you see the Jews also on the day of judgment will be held accountable. You saw um, and you learned of God through the earthly life of Jesus. And that becomes very important for us because there'll be people who will never darken a church door except maybe for what's called the hatching and the matching and the dispatching, the baptism, the marriage and the death. But they will have seen your life for my life and God will say to them on the day of judgment, you saw that person. I put that believer in your place of work. I put them within your circle of friends. I put them in your community. I put them in your family. And what did you do? You closed your ears to what I was revealing to you through them. And if there's anyone here this evening and you are rejecting the gospel, either with this measure of envy and resentment or it's not for me, or perhaps you're just brushing it aside and saying, maybe later, realize that on the day of judgment, the people that you're now sitting with and sitting among, God will use their witness. And their presence in your life. Their prayers for you. To call you to account. Christ will call you to account. On that day. What did you do with me? As you learned of me. From my servant. My servants. That I placed in your life. So the envy of the Philistines. And notice here that. The sin of envy, it can never be kept in the heart. And that's a warning to us who are Christians. Because Jesus warned us, out of the heart comes all manner of evil. And as Christians, we are prone to every, the seed of every single sin that you can think of or that others do. And perhaps you think, I don't do that. The seed of it is in your heart. And any circumstance that comes into your life, any event that comes into your life, the experience of other Christians in your life can cause that seed to grow. And you can become envious 
of another Christian. You could become envious um, as of the blessing that God gives to other Christians. He gave them that, not me. Um, can become envious of the gift of marriage, the gift of children. We can become envious of Christians who have, um, whom God is blessed in their calling in life. Can become envious of the Christian whom God is blessed with good health. Can become envious of the Christian that is called by God, the, the man that's called by God into office in his church, the office of deacon or elder, and oh, they chose me. They chose him over me, and I've been here longer. Envy. It never stays in the heart. It always spills out in the life, and that's what we see here. Because these people, these unbelieving people in their envy, what did they do? Well, the wells that Abraham had dug years before, and remember we saw this morning, it's going back about a hundred years. Those wells, and they were clearly associated with Abraham's name, they were known locally, Abraham's well. Um, you've grown up in the country uh, side or in the rural community, there's all kinds of places, and they're known by somebody that lived there. And that's the case with these wells. And what do they do? Now that Isaac is there, they're not going to let him benefit from them. And they're trying to cut off the blessing of God. And they're trying to ruin this man through a lack of water for his crops and livestock. But can they? Will they? No, they can't. It's not God's purpose. And you remember God's purpose is to bless Isaac. Doesn't matter what man does, he can't stop that blessing. And you and I need to remember that. As we live in the world where the non-Christian at times seeks to rob us of the blessings of God. And to oppose us. And we can become anxious. And fearful. Whereas we need to be like Daniel. You remember when the people became envious of him? He just got on with life. And he did exactly the same things. And he was as public about his faith as he'd ever been. And God continued to bless him. Because man cannot hinder the purposes of God. And so uh, then, when it goes into the, eventually Isaac, they, uh, get, they encourage Isaac, they ask Isaac to move away. He goes to the next area. And again, there are wells there that are associated with Abraham. Old wells. And um, they, they block those up. And what does Isaac do? He goes and digs new wells. And what do they do? They follow him. And notice how often the word quarrel comes in. Verse 19, verse 21, verse 22. These are quarrelsome people to work with and to live among. And you might be working with people who are quarrelsome. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how well you do your work. Doesn't matter what kindness you show to them. They'll still find some fault. And they'll still quarrel with you. And when you give them their space. And you don't insist on your rights. As Isaac didn't insist here on his rights. They'll still follow you. And make life miserable for you. And that's persecution. 
Persecution. It's what the Jews did to Jesus. They quarreled with him about one thing after another. It wasn't that they wasn't, if it was the fact that he, at one time it was, you're not keeping our rules. And they quarreled with him about that. And then they quarreled with him because he called himself the son of God. How dare I make himself equal with God? They quarreled with him because he was forgiving people their sins. Quarrelsome people. And Isaac finds himself here amongst the Philistines and they are quarrelsome people. And you and I as Christians, we will often find ourselves in places in the world, in the workplace, where people are quarrelsome. They're difficult. And they're awkward. And they're contrary. And if there's something to complain about, they'll complain about it. And if there's something that they can get from us and keep from us, they will get it from us and keep it from us. And that continues. And eventually, we read in verse 22, in that final well, he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. I think it's really, really striking. Abraham, or not Abraham, Isaac's demeanor in this. Isaac is a man of peace. And we see that again in verse 31. Even when he went the length of entering into a peace treaty, he didn't cause any arguments. He said, okay, if you want us to formalize this into a peace treaty, if that's going to bring peace from your point of view, and well then that's fine. And they departed from him in peace. He's a man of peace. And Isaac doesn't stand for his rights here. He could have said to them, look, these wells that you're blocking up, my father dug these a hundred years ago. And then he could have said to the wells that he dug after that himself, we've dug these wells and you're coming and now blocking them up. But Isaac doesn't. He's a peaceable man with a quarrelsome people. How important that is that we as Christians in the world are peace-loving men and women. We're willing to accept evil and to take it sooner than dishonor our Savior. And I think we need to look at this and see how Isaac again and again he's looking to the Lord. And he's praying and he's trusting in him. And he's, he's honoring him. And he's recognizing, of course, that his blessing is from God. Eventually he goes up to Beersheba, which is where he'd come from originally. And notice how the Lord appeared to him. And it's as if the Lord is saying, Isaac, well done. But also, Isaac, don't be bothered about those Philistines. Don't be afraid. It's interesting, it's more or less the same thing as in verse 3. Not as full, but notice now the words inserted. Do not fear, for I am with you. It seems that Isaac, though he's left Philistine country, 
he can't be sure that they'll not, because you see, it's not a big distance from where he had gone to, to Beersheba or where he'd been. And he can't be sure that these people won't follow him and give him further trouble. And the Lord appears to him and the Lord reassures him. And it's not so gracious of God and so typical of Christ our Saviour that when we are fearful because of those who quarrel with us and make life difficult for us, whether it's in the world and the family and the church, the Lord brings a word of encouragement. Just don't be afraid. I'm over it. I'm with you. I will bless you. They're not going to be able to rob you of what I have for you. And I think his response, Isaac's response, is beautiful here. He worships God. He worships God. Verse 25. He built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And the final section, as I've touched on already, just shows us the powerful witness that Isaac bore for his Lord in the midst of persecution. The point eventually came when the Philistines, though they did not believe in God, uh, they recognized that God was with Isaac. And isn't that where Daniel's friends had to come to? And those men, sorry, Daniel's enemies, I should say, those men that opposed him, his comrades that were working with him, his colleagues, and they opposed him one thing after another, one time after another. And the point came where they had to acknowledge that God was with him. And folks, that is, that should be our great objective in our persecution. Not that it will be taken away, but Lord, the people will see you are my Savior. You are with me. And that it will have a witness that we will have a beautiful witness for Christ in the midst of it. And that people, whether they believe in God or not, they will be brought to see that we are blessed of the Lord. And you see, Isaac, he is, how do I put it? He has such confidence. Not in himself. And he's a picture of just calm. Why? Because of his faith. And he can go into this treaty. And he can sign up to it. And he can welcome these Philistines. And he puts on a good meal for them. And because of the Lord's reassurance to him. He, as it were, no longer feels threatened or intimidated by him. That's really, really powerful. 
when God brings us to that point that we can, as it were, to use the words of Peter, heap coals of fire in the heads of our enemies. So that God even makes, as Proverbs says, the enemies of the good man to dwell at peace with him. So, you and I, we will have persecution. We will be treated with envy or other sinful attitudes. Remember how ultimately the Jews with Jesus, we read Matthew 27 verse 18, they handed him over out of envy. Out of envy. And no servant is greater than their master, than his master. And it is when we suffer like Christ and for Christ that we are blessed. And so let's pray that in the midst of our persecution, our opposition in the world, whatever way it comes, that we will be like our Saviour. And that we will be able to deal graciously with those who envy, with those who quarrel, those who make life awkward and miserable for us. And that there will be that lovely fragrance for Christ that just um, flows from us and can't help but leave its fragrance with those who oppose us. One final word. We have talked here about envy not only on the part of the non-Christians, we're touching it with regard to ourselves as Christians, and we need to guard ourselves against envy of our fellow believers and lay aside all envy. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So let's be like Isaac, who himself in some way is pointing forward to Jesus and his earthly life and ministry. And of course it's only in Jesus that we can become like Jesus and know the blessing of Jesus. Amen.